Isn't that wonderful? That there's none to be like him. No. There's no one who can take his place. No. Satan will give you all kind of pleasures here on earth to distract your attention from the Lord. And while you're tasting the things of the world, you don't have opportunity to taste the things of God. But yet the psalmist says, taste and see how good the Lord is. And we hope that you will taste a little bit of the Lord today as we bring the message. Let us pray. Father, we thank you and praise you, O God, for watching over us and keeping us and holding us in the hollow of your hand. And we thank you, Lord, that you're seeing about Ryan, Lord. You're seeing about Gwen and John, that, Lord, you're helping them, Lord. Even in difficult times, you're giving them peace. You're comforting them. And we thank you for the testimonies that's going to flow from their lives. And those private moments when they experience you, when you step into that hospital, when you step into that room, when you step into their hearts and calm their minds. Lord, we're looking forward to the day in which we'll hear testimonies of how you performed and what you did. And I pray for each and every one of us that we would not just be a religious people, but that we would be a people who experience a living God and that we know you for ourselves. That we can say like Paul, I know in whom I have believed and who I'm trusting. Because Lord, we want to trust you. That's the only way we can do what you've asked us to do, to walk by faith and not by sight, as if we trust you. If we don't trust you, it'd be awful difficult to walk by faith. But because, Lord, we are your people who've been called out of darkness into your marvelous light, and we have a relationship with you, we're learning to trust you more and more and more that we can be the people who walk by faith and not by sight. Lord, may you touch our bodies. May you heal us. May you strengthen us. And we thank you, Lord. Though we have gray hair upon our heads, Lord, you have carried us from our mother's womb to this present day. Will you continue to do that? Will you continue, Lord, to give us strength to praise your holy name? Will you continue, Lord, to keep us in our right mind? Will you continue, O oh God, to teach us how to love you? And would you give us, Lord, a godly love to love you with, that we will not be loving you with a fleshly love, but with a divine love that flows from you to our hearts and back to you. And Lord, we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Getting ready. Oftentimes when we think of Easter, we think about...
Christ going to the cross and the resurrection. And Christ should be the centerpiece. But there's been a piece sometime we leave out at Easter. And that piece is that the disciples had to be prepared for what was going to take place on Friday. They had to be prepared. When my father passed, the nurse, before he went to hospice, came into his hospital bed, and my dad was up, everything was okay, full of strength. And she explained to him about this little thing in the throat that would not allow the food to pass on down into his stomach, but it would go over into the lungs. And she explained to him that as he moved over to hospice care, that they were going to comfort him, make him as comfortable as possible, but there would be no more water, no more food, nothing else would be administered to him. And she said to my dad, now that's the plan. Do you understand it? And my dad looked at her and said, that sure is some plan. <laughs> but he knew what he was going to have to face. We knew somewhat what he was going to have to face. When my grandmother passed, We're in the room and Dr. Prade came in and Dr. Prade explained to her, we might be able to buy you six more months of life if you're willing to take this certain medication, but it's going to undermine your liver and your kidneys. But if we don't give you the medicine, then your heart is just going to stop. And she said, it's your decision. And my grandmother looked and said, well, can I buy two days? And Dr. Prey said yes. And after Dr. Prey left the room, she called me over to her bedside. And she said, Gus, I want you to go call all the grandchildren, let them know if they want to see me for the last time to get down here within the next two days. Because she knew what was going to happen, she was able also to make some plans. She also was able to make some plans. And it gave time for grandchildren, great-grandchildren to get in to see her. If you understand my family, there was 14 of us. And at my dad's passing, there was over 150 grandchildren and great-grandchildren 
uh, is a good-sized family. But because they knew what was going to take place, they had been prepared for what was going to take place. We find that Jesus does that with his disciples. He prepares them for Friday. What's going to happen on Friday? I'm going to that cross and I'm going to die. And he prepares them for that. He gets them ready for that. Now, Jesus says to his disciples, I have told you these things. I've told you these things. I've told you over and over and over again that I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. So he wanted to somehow get that into their brain, into their heart. Now understand this. Sometimes God can speak things to us, but we don't have full understanding of it. So in Matthew 20, 17, 18, he said, Now as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside. Now it's important to understand he took them to the side. And said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem. And there the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. And they will condemn him to death. Imagine if I was one of the disciples, I would be saying, what is he really talking about? He's only 32, 33 years old. Yeah, we have shaken some feathers. We've upset some people, but it's not to a point that he should die. So in Mark 10, 32, he said, They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and his disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Now, catch the next word. Again! He says something. Again. He's doing what? He's repeating himself that they might know. Again, he took the twelve aside. Pay attention to that. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen. He's informing them, getting them ready for Friday. In Luke 18, 31 through 33, section C of 31, he says, And everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. And see, he adds a little bit more to it this time. It's not just that I'm going to be put to death. But he somewhat now describes the death. What's going to take place prior to him even going to the cross? He gives a little bit more insight of what will take place. He says they will mock him. They're going to make fun of him. They're going to make light of him. They're going to insult him. It's not enough just to put you to death. But we're going to toy with you a little bit. We're going to poke at you a little bit. 
They're going to spit on him. A total disrespect. A total way of showing unworthiness of even being a human being. And they're going to flog him. And then he finally says, and kill him. Now, now, now look at what he's saying is going to happen to him even before he gets to the cross. What's going to take place? But this will be part of next week's sermon. But on the third day, I will rise again. He didn't leave them without hope. But he was very truthful in what was going to take place in his life. And what we're going to look at a little bit is what's going to take place in the disciples' life. Because you and I have to understand something. We're in the shoes of the disciples, in a way. And what he describes to them also applies to us as his disciples. He says simply, get ready. Because things are going to happen. But getting the disciples ready for what is to come. That's part of the job of the church today. Is to get God's people ready for what they will face day by day whether it be on the job, whether it be out in public, whether it be just with friends, what are the difficulties in life you're going to face? What is the opposition in life you might face? What is it that you might have to go through something? And to understand Christ will be right there with you. Is getting the disciples ready for what is going to come. Go to John chapter 16 with me. And there's three things we're going to look at in this verse 33. Because he's talking to his disciples, preparing them for Friday. Preparing them for Friday. He says in that verse 33, I have told you These things. I've told you these things. So that in me you may have what? Peace. Why? In the world you will have what? But this is what I'm expecting of you. But take heart. I have overcome the world. He says, I have told you these things. He didn't tell the world. He didn't tell the world. He told his disciples. Remember in the verses where it says, he took them to the side, he took them to the side, 
Because he's speaking to them, not to the whole world at this point. He is targeting them. This is what's going to happen to me. This is what's going to happen to you. And he takes them to the side and he speaks to them. Now, take note of this. When he uses the word there, he says, I have told you. I told you, not the world, of what's going to take place. Understand this simple little principle. If you are a disciple, if you are a child of God, there are special moments in your life that God wants to only speak to who? You. Not the world. But he only wants to speak to you. And he has things that he wants to say to you and not the world. And he wants you to understand it. He wants you to grasp it. He wants to prepare you for your life of what takes place in life. And he says, boy, I told you. I didn't tell the world. I told you. So he makes it very personal. And in this personal relationship with him, you'll find Jesus is always personal and always honest and always straightforward. And he tells you why. He doesn't hide things from his own children. But what he does do, he makes sure you're ready now for it. And we're going to talk about that a little bit too in Scripture. That there comes a time for you to hear certain things in order for you now to understand what your future might be. Hey, there is a time that God will only speak to you. He did that in Scripture. He spoke with Adam. He spoke with Noah. Noah didn't just decide to build an ark. God told him the dimensions of it and everything else, the animals that he would bring on. Uh, God spoke to Noah. God spoke to Abraham. Abraham was satisfied where he was at. And here comes God alone speaking to me and disrupting my life. Abraham, pick up your little belongings and I want you to go over here. Could you imagine what Abraham thought when he first heard God speak? You want me to, God, say something else to me. Tell me how much you're going to give me. Tell me how you're going to bless me. Let me build a big home here. Let me spread out here. No. Abraham, I want you to move to another country, to another area. I want you to go someplace else. And then Moses. Moses used every excuse he could use. And finally God said, I'll give you a mouthpiece in Aaron. But God spoke to Moses there at the burning bush. He spoke to him. And then we have Peter. Peter up on the roof. Peter, a sanctified Jew. He don't eat this and he don't eat that because it's unclean. And God speaks to Peter. What I created, don't call what? Yeah. Peter, this is what I want you to do. Some men are going to come by. And I want you to go to this guy by the name of Cornelius. No, Lord, that's a Gentile. And I'm a good Jewish boy. I'm not going into that house. 
Peter, this is what I want you to do. And sometimes the Lord may tell you to go somewhere. Oh, Lord, now wait a minute. And then Paul, Saul, he speaks on the road of Damascus. Now, isn't that strange? Here's these other people around Saul, around Paul. He knocked him off the horse. And the only way he's going to speak to is who? Why not speak in a way that everybody hears? But the only one who really hears is who? Saul, Paul. He speaks to. And then he speaks to Philip. Philip! Here's this Ethiopian. And we're going to talk about him some next week too. Because how does this Ethiopian Jew wind up worshiping in the temple of God? Give you a little hint. Go all the way back to Solomon when the Ethiopian queen come to visit. But she didn't go home the same. And the whole process is that here he is, an Ethiopian Jew. This black Jew is there, worshiping. Now catch this. He was seeking God, but not really knowing God. And the Holy Spirit speaks to Stephen. Go attach yourself to that chariot. Get on up in there. And what does Stephen say? Do you understand what you're reading? No. And he begins to read it and explain it to him. Reading out of the book of Isaiah. And God speaks to Philip. And the last person we have in Revelation, God speaking to is John. Explaining. See, you can't go through Scripture and say God doesn't speak. Now, understand this principle. If God spoke then, he is the same. Yesterday, today, forever, he'll still speak to us. The question is, are you willing to hear? He is not just telling them what will happen to him, but what is going to happen to them. He tells them how he expects them to respond to their situation. He is no longer present with them. When you read the Gospels, you'll find that every time the Pharisees came around, or the lawyers came around, or the scribes came around, who's the one speaking up? Jesus. And the only thing they have to do is stand back there and watch. Now that there's good a time. Hey. To be able to just step back and watch how Jesus handles the situation. But Jesus says, I'm going to be absent from you. Now you got to step up. And this is how I expect you to conduct yourself. And that's what we're going to talk about. How he's expecting his disciples. How he's expecting his saints to go through difficult times. 
to face situations. He says, he is no longer present with them. But how I expect you to respond. What has been told them? That's what's important. In me, he says, you will have what? Peace. In me, you will have peace. I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. Peace is in a person. But if your mind's not stayed on Jesus, you won't have peace. If your mind is not in his word and quoting his word back into your heart and reminding yourself of what he said, you won't have peace. Remember, Satan comes to steal and to rob. What is he going to steal? Your joy. What is he going to steal? Your peace. What he's going to steal is what Jesus has spoken to you. Isaiah 26, 3 simply says, boy, whose mind is steadfast on Jesus. There's a determination now to trust him. And when you do that, he'll keep you in perfect peace. It's a quietness. It doesn't matter what's going on outside of you. The quietness takes place here and up here. It's a quietness of mind, that the mind can be slowed down, that the the mind isn't racing, the mind isn't thinking all these things that you can't sleep at night. But he says, I'll give you peace, I'll give you rest in your mind, in your conscious area, in your heart. For when the heart is troubled and out of the heart flows the issues of life and you're trying to put it together, Jesus said, I'll give you peace because understand something, you can't plan without peace. You have to have peace in order to set forth a plan. And he says, in me, you'll find peace. Not out here in the world, not in the government, not in doing what your government might do for you or give you or what breaks you get from over here. Where you're going to find peace is in me and me alone. And that peace is rest. Go over to Matthew 14 with me, 31 through 32. Matthew 14. I want you to see something that is very unique here. And oftentimes we, we miss it. Because oftentimes in the situations of things, we're expecting God to calm what? To calm our storms. We're expecting God to take away our what? our problems. We're expecting God to remove our frustrations. We're expecting God to quickly move our hurts and so forth. Here's Peter out in the water. Peter is thinking. Now, look at verse 31. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why, didn't, why did you doubt? 
Now catch verse 32. It's amazing here. I never really recognized this until you give it thought. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Catch this, this simple little thing here. God didn't calm the storm. He never spoke to the storm. He didn't really speak to what was causing Peter to be frightened. He took hold of Peter and pulled Peter, in a sense, to himself. And the thing that he calmed was Peter, not the storm. Understand this. You can be going through something, and God is going to calm you, not the problem. God's going to calm you, not just solve the situation. God's going to calm you, and he's going to pull you into himself. And you're going to know his peace. And you're going to know how to go through this problem. You're going to know how to go through this tough time of life. Why? Because he's calmed you. And the storm no longer is your main attraction. You're not fixed on the storm. You are now fixed on Jesus. And he says he'll give you peace. He'll give you peace. And he gave Peter peace and never spoke to the storm. But he calmed Peter. And God cares about you. Not so much your problems. Not so much what you're going through in life. He cares about you. And he knows if he can calm you and fix your eyes on him, that he'll be able to do exactly what he says he will do. There's no temptation that is, what, common unto man. Eh? But if you fix your eyes on him, he'll lead you through it. He leads you through it. He takes you through the problems. In John, he says, my peace. And this whole thing starts in John 14 and follows through to 16. He says this whole issue about peace, he says, boy, I give you my peace. And that's something to grasp hold of because there's something else that he gives to us too. But it doesn't happen without knowing his peace. So he tells us, I'm going to give you my peace. Look at verse 27. He simply says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. How many peace treaties has the United States signed and broke? American Indians would be great if they would ever kept one peace tree. How many times do we make peace with somebody and yet break it? And he says, I don't give you peace like the world because the world don't know peace. And he says, get my eyes straight again here. He says, peace I leave with you. 
My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Now, he's going to repeat this again here. He says, do not let your heart be what? Troubled. And do not be afraid. When you have the peace of God, you're not troubled, nor are you what? Though I walk through the very valleys of the shadows of death, who's there with me? Yeah. And I have a peace about it. I have a peace about it. It's amazing that there's a peace. And he said, you're not troubled, neither are you afraid, because you have his peace. And he says, do not be afraid. Go over to 2 Timothy 1.7, because the whole process is that he does not give us the spirit of fear. And you need to understand, whenever you have fear, it's not from God. It comes from the enemy. Because fear backs us off from trusting God. And he, in that verse 7, he simply says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity or fear, but a spirit of what? Power. You cannot actually activate power and use it properly if you're not at peace. You've got to be at peace with yourself. Illustration. Why do you think the legal system says, don't spank your child when you are what? Who's out of control? <laughs> Who don't have peace? <laughs> Who's all upset? <laughs> when you discipline your child, you want to have peace in here, but you want to know why you're disciplining. My kids thought sometime I was going to kill them. They, and I wanted them to have that little bit of fear. Because that little bit of fear brings about a certain respect also. Okay, that you want to build in. Okay. But yet, being under control, none of them ever was hurt. None was ever hurt. And you want to have a peace inside knowing why you're disciplining and what you're doing. But without that peace, you lose control. You kind of lose it. And you do more damage than instruction. And he says, boy, you have power. Now look what follows. Love. Now understand something. When you don't have peace... You're raging. When you don't have peace, you're out of control. When you're not at peace with yourself, you're mad at everything, everybody. And he says, peace will give you self-control. Peace will give you self-control. So when you have God's peace... You have self-control. What is he trying to give his disciples? The ability to control their emotions based on what is going to take place on Friday. The ability to love those who even do that to the one that they love. 
Because after he dies, guess what? They got a witness to him. They got a hunger in their own heart. They don't want that one to go to hell. And it would be easy to say, they put my master on the cross. They killed the one that I love. They deserve to go to hell. That would be easy to say. But he says, peace gives you the ability to love people. And it does even this. Love is always seeking understanding. Love is always seeking understanding. And you love that person through their difficult time. You love the person through their misbehavior. You love the person through their wrongdoing. And all that is brought about by peace. In 16.1, he said, I told you this. So you would not go astray. Now catch this, because it's so important. In 16.1, he says, all this I have told you. Again, he telling, this is why I'm telling you this. This is why I am sharing this with you. I'm not keeping it a secret. And this is why I'm telling you ahead of time. Because he says, all this I have told you so that you will not go astray. In other words, that you yourself will not act out of character. You are my disciple. I'm expecting you to respond a certain way. And I'm expecting you to live a certain way. I'm expecting you to do this, this, and that a certain way. I'm expecting you to be like me, the example that I've shown you, the things that I have taught you. And I don't want you to go astray. I don't want you to fall away from your faith. I want you to be steadfast. And he says, I told you these things. I told you these things that you will not go astray. And that is so important. Because oftentimes, we lose our character. We forget that we are the saints of God. We forget that we're being controlled by the Holy Spirit. We forget who we really represent. And we become hostile towards other people because they've done something to us. And we have to catch our... I know i got to catch myself. Got the old Gus Brown... He's just ready to fight. That has to be controlled. See? The old Gus Brown, be ready to put you in your place and back you up. That has to be controlled. The old Gus Brown, and do a lot of cussing, but I knew how to be a Marine when I needed to be a Marine. That got to be controlled. There are things in your life because of who you are in Christ that you have to control that old nature of yours that just want to jump up. And usually when it jumps, it's jumping because of pride. And the scripture is true. Pride cometh before what? Because, see, I can become hostile, mad, and I can get a sharp tongue. And all that has to be controlled. Why do they need his peace? 
is because, see, Jesus was rejected. He came unto his own, and his own received him what? Received him not. Now catch the next couple of verses there in that verse 16. Go to verse 2 with me. Look what he says. They will put you out of the synagogue. Out of the synagogue? No, I'm a Jew. This has been my whole life. I come here for the festivals. I come here for the ten of meetings. I come here to celebrate Passover. I've been a Jew. I've been brought up as a Jew. And now you're talking about put me out? This is all I know. And you're going to put me out? See, when people come against you, you need peace that you do not go after them as they're coming after who? Yes. And you'll learn to even listen and even do this. The right word is spoken in the right season. <laughs> people hear those words if they're spoken in the right season. In the right time. People hear those words. They're going to put you out of the synagogue. And some will even think, and, and they're your friends. They're your friends. But they think that they will do God a favor if they kill you. They think they will do God a favor if they knock you down a peg or two. They think they're doing God a favor because you think you're so high and mighty and so holy and so sanctified and so this that if I can cause you to stumble so that we can see the real individual. And he says, they will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a sacrifice to God. You need peace. Then he says, boy, you're going to have trouble. Anyone who's going to walk close to God, anyone who is going to desire to really serve God, you're going to have trouble. And for many Christians, they're Christians in name, but they don't live out the Christian life. Why? Too much trouble. Satan won't leave you alone. Why? He wants to see you fall. He wants to see you disgrace the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's why he tells you we shouldn't not... We should be aware of his schemes. We should be aware of Satan and what he does, his deceptiveness. We need to know he's the father of lies because he's going to lie to us. And he says, you're going to have trouble in this world. And that is something to deal with. And the question is, how will you handle the trouble? How do you handle the trouble? Now, in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, it speaks about we don't fight like the world fight. We don't use the weapons of the world. But most of us do. You cuss me, I'm going to cuss you. 
You're unkind to me, I'm going to be unkind to you. You're arrogant with me, guess what? I'll be with you. And for the Christian, that's not allowed. And that's hard for us because the flesh gets in there. Watch people. If you yell at me, what takes place? I'll yell back at you. Watch that in marriages. You yell, I'll yell. You yell louder, I'll yell louder. Watch it just happen. And somebody got to say, no, we're not going there and bring it back down. Elaine knows one thing in my house. We're not going to yell at each other. That don't mean it don't happen sometimes. But we both can't start just yelling at each other. Or we're not really solving the issue. And when you get mad at each other, you're not really dealing with the issue. You're dealing with what? Each other. And he says, our weapons is not of this world. What is our weapons? First Thessalonians says, we pray continually. We pray continually. Now, go to 2 Thessalonians 3.13. 2 Thessalonians 3.13. Because, see, he tells us that we're going to pray continuously. Then he says, now this is what you're going to do. And this is what's hard to do. And he's saying to his disciples in a sense, yes, this is going to happen. Yes, you're going to be upset. Yes, you're going to be frightened. Yes, these things are going to take place. But this is what I'm expecting of you. Yes, the trouble is there. How do you handle trouble? Trouble, trouble. There's a right way of handling trouble. Look what he says in verse 13. As, and as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is what? What is right? You never get tired of doing what is right. It's not about the wrong that's being done to you. It's about how you respond to the wrong and that you are to do what is right. Doesn't matter how Elaine treats me. It matters how I'm going to treat her. Doesn't matter how I'm treating her. It's how she's going to treat me. And understand this principle. Love conquers all things. It may have to take a little bit more loving to quiet it down. It may have to take a little bit more tenderness. But the thing is this here, love conquers all things. And he says, we're always going to do what's right. Even though they do this to me, you do what is right. Even though you're frightened and scared, you do what is right. And then he goes on, he says, boy, trouble. Go, go, go to 16, go to verses 4 and 5. What I want you to catch is this, the teaching process that takes place before this ever happens. God always prepares his people for the next step. He prepares them. People don't believe that they should be prepared for marriage. God prepares you. A lot of folks get married and they're not ready to get married. Nowhere near it. 
There's a lot of folks that step into things, and guess what? They're not ready to step into those things. Look at verses 4 and 5, and catch this now, what he's going to say. He said, I have told you this, and, and catch how many times in, in this chapter, how many times he's saying, I told you, I told you, I told you. He says again, I have told you this, so that when the time comes, the time isn't here yet, but the time is what? Coming. The time is coming. It isn't here yet. But I told you these things for the time that is coming. And he goes on and he says, you will remember. You will remember why the Holy Spirit is going to bring it back to mind. The Holy Spirit will bring, if you put the word of God in your heart, in your mind, the Holy Spirit will bring it back to you just like this. So that when you step out of line, something speaks to you in here and you know you get back over here. He'll do it. And he says, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. Now, catch that. I didn't tell you the bad part at first. I didn't tell you what's going to really happen to you if you follow me. I bid you to come. I bid you to follow me. And in that process, I'm teaching you. And I'm preparing you. See that little guy? He's being prepared for life. He's being taught about life. And one day, Dad's going to say, time to go, man. Time to go. Can't be 32 years old still sleeping in my bed, eating my food, and don't pay a thing. And don't. This is not a lifetime thing. This is just for so long. Now, now I've prepared you. We got the education. We got the know-how, how how to live out here. I'm no longer going to really be present with you. And that's what Jesus is saying to his disciples. There was a time I was with you. But there's a time that's coming that I'm no longer going to be with you. But I taught you, I prepared you for this hour, for this time, to be able to face these things. And he simply says, I did not tell you this at first. He doesn't take him and tell him, oh, one day you're going to be responsible for a wife and two kids or three. He's not ready for that yet. He doesn't wake him up at five in the morning and say, Get on your work clothes. Time to go to work. He's not ready for that yet. But you're teaching. And you are preparing. Because you know the time will come. Now, Scripture is a warning. Scripture warns us. But it also does this. It's a preparation. It's a preparation. It's a warning about hell and a preparation for heaven. Understand that. It is a warning about hell. Because Satan wanted to take as many of us as possible where? To hell with him. 
But yet at the same time, the Spirit of God, when we accept Christ, begins to prepare us for what? For heaven. Scripture warns us, it prepares us. It prepares us how to live as Christians. It prepares us to live as the saints of God. It prepares us to go through the problems of life that we're going to go through. It prepares us. And it even warns us about the pitfalls of the enemy and how he sets them. In verse 6, he says, boy, you will be filled with grief, trouble. You'll be filled with grief. In 16, he says, boy, your heart's going to be heavy. He says, these things, you are filled with grief. With grief. That's part of that trouble that you're going to have. Then he says, boy, had not put it all together because he's telling them about he's going to leave, but they don't really understand in 17 and 18. They don't really grasp them. What is he talking about? Man, we're doing ministry here. We're doing some great work here. And now he's talking about taking off, going to see the Father, be with the Father. We're, man, we got something working here. And they don't understand it. And he explains it again to them, in a sense. But he also tells them what they're going to go through. In 20 and 22, he says, you're going to weep and you're going to mourn. I'm going to weep and mourn. Wait a minute, I'm, I'm saved. I'm one of your disciples. I'm saved. I shouldn't have to weep. I'm saved. I shouldn't have to mourn. I'm saved. I shouldn't have to have any grief. I'm saved. I shouldn't have to have any problems. I shouldn't have to have no financial problems. I shouldn't have to worry about gas going on. I shouldn't have to worry about food on my table. I shouldn't have to worry about a roof over my head. Well, we need to go to some third world countries where we see Christians going through all those problems. Remember what Psalms 35 says. We may go out weeping. But in the morning, we come back what? Rejoicing. We'll come back rejoicing. And we need to understand that that joy is of the Lord. Go to John 15, 18 through 22. Look at what he says in that 15. 18 says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Remember, if the world doesn't like you by the way in which you're living for me. Remember, it didn't like me. And guess what? The world today still don't like Jesus. And when you show too much of Jesus on the job, you might be in trouble. You show too much of Jesus to your neighbor, your neighbor might put a fence up. Show too much Jesus to your family, you might be ostracized. And he simply says, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not. And that's what a lot of Christians don't understand. You've been bought with a price. You don't belong to the world. You belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, 
That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you, the things I've told you, the things that I've taught you. Remember those things. And remember this, no servant is greater than the master. That you shouldn't suffer what the master has suffered and went through. And you can finish reading down there, and he gives an example. Boy, yeah. Being a Christian is not easy. Third point and last point. He says, in that verse 33, he says, but take heart. I give you my peace because you're going to have trouble in this world. I don't want you to go off acting as non-Christians. I don't want you to go out acting like the world. I want you to demonstrate my image. And he says, but take heart. He says, be encouraged. Be encouraged. Why? Because I have an example. Whenever I think I'm hurting, whenever I think I'm being abused, whenever I think somebody is disking me or disrespecting me or somebody's doing something to me, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. And then respond like he responded. When he was slapped, he didn't slap back. Oh boy, if he would have slapped back, he may have hit that person over to the next century. But he held himself. When they spit on him, he didn't spit back. Boy, somebody spit on him. He didn't spit back. He says, be encouraged. Why? I've overcome that situation. Be encouraged. I've overcome how people treat us. Be encouraged. And that same word in take heart, it says be confident. As Christians, we all have confidence in God. Who's going to hold me? Because sometimes the flesh wants to rage, doesn't it? Sometimes the flesh just want to get nasty, mean, say some words that will set a city on fire. Have the confidence that you're in the arms of God. And if God be for you, who can be against you? Understand, the battle's not yours. It's his. Understand, you're in a fortress in Jesus Christ. You have the shield of faith. You have the helmet of salvation. You have all that you need to just stand. The problem with standing, I have to die to self. But understand this simple little principle also. When you will not stand... There's nothing to overcome. But when you stand as a Christian, opposition is going to come. Opposition is part of the Christian life. And if you stand against sin and the wrong things of this world, you're going to have trouble. Trouble with the family. 
trouble with the children, trouble with the wife or the husband, trouble at work. If you really stand for the honesty and the respect and the honor and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ for his word, you're going to have trouble. And Jesus said, I've overcome. I've overcome. And you can overcome it. You can overcome it. I've already overcome. I've already given you an example. All you have to do is walk in my steps. And you'll overcome it. Now, uh, these five things, they help you to overcome. Because they're real. And they're the things you may have to fight against. Overcome personal suffering. People sometimes can be cruel and people can hurt you, as they say, to the bone. People can say things that can be very nasty. And you are personally hurt inside. You got to handle that without what? As some Christian saved, you've heard it before. I know I lay my religion down and I know how to pick it up. Well, you just can't take Christ off and put him back on when you want. And he says, boy, you got to handle your own personal suffering. Are you willing to suffer for Christ? Are you willing to suffer for righteousness sake? Are you willing to suffer that Christ might be manifested through your life? Look at what Paul suffered, that Christ might be what? Manifested. And Paul says, I long to go home, but it's more needful that I'm here. But I long to go to heaven. Boy, the older you get, the more you understand what Paul's talking about. Secondly, overcoming the temptations of the flesh. Because, see, Satan's going to present all these things to you. Satan's going to show you this, and Satan's going to show you that, and Satan's going to tell you, you're valuable, you're worthy, you're, you're this here. Isn't it good that they can come on TV and say, no money, no cash, poor credit, you can get a car? That's a lie. Talking about, you deserve it. But if you haven't worked for it, you don't deserve it. We don't want to suffer. But Satan will tempt us with things and even give them to us free if we're willing to walk away from the right way of doing something. If we're willing to walk away from following after Christ, Satan's willing to give it to us because he won that victory if he moves us from Christ, from following after Christ. Thirdly, Overcome the attacks of Satan. What do I mean by that? Personal attacks in your life. Satan will personally attack you, your health, your finances, your children. Satan will personally attack you to try to what? Draw you back. Where do we get that from? Look at Job. He will personally attack you in order to move you away from Christ. 
then overcome the attacks of others. And that's what Paul went through in 1 Corinthians 10.10. Some say, hey, he's mighty with the pen, but he can't speak, he can't preach, he is nothing. Personal attacks are going to come. And this is the part that really hurts sometimes. When the attacks come from someone, in a sense that you poured your life out into, when the attack comes from fellow saints and believers. Now, don't think Satan can't use other Christians to attack you when it comes to the things of God. And that goes back to the very first thing that I said to you. Remember, Aaron and Aaron's sister attacked too. <laughs> Moses. <laughs> People who sometimes are close to you, Satan can use to attack you. To cause doubt in your mind. To frustrate you. And even to a point, well, if you don't follow, and we see that with Solomon, who was drawn away from following after God because of what? Other women with other gods. The last one. And this is a tough one. Because every one of us in our own eyesight see ourselves what? Right. Every now and then you need to examine yourself. You need to look at your own life. Not your neighbor's life. Your life. And you need to check and make sure you have not fallen back into some sin you used to do or it didn't seem so bad. It's just one of them little sins. It's one of those sins that can be unnoticed. It's one of those sins that's very, 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 very private, but it's down in here. That you don't go back to that. You don't go back to that. Because, see, it's still sin. And it's surprising sometimes with Christians. I'm saved now, so it's okay to go daddle in this and in, in that, because I'm saved. I'm not worried about getting a crown. I'm not worried about getting any reward. I'm not worried about really pleasing God. I'm not worried about if I'm filled with the Spirit. I'm not worried about doing all what is right. I'm saved. I'm not going to go to hell. Overcome your prior sins. Overcome your mouth. Control it. Overcome the way you think. For as a man thinketh, so is he. Overcome being kind. Nobody's kind to me, so I'm not going to be kind. Overcome doing good for people. Nobody do anything for me. Overcome that, he simply says it in this fashion. I have overcome the world. I've overcome the system of this world. I've overcome how this world functions and its sin. I've overcome that. And it's possible for every one of us in this room to overcome 
how life is lived in the world. That you might walk on what? Higher plane. And that you might live in the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can overcome it. And he says to his disciple, I give you my peace because it's going to take my peace to keep you in a sound mind. It's going to take my peace for you to handle the troubles that are going to come your way. And he says, I want you to be encouraged. I want you to have the confidence. I want you to have a cheerful heart no matter what comes. And I want you to always look at me. I've overcome. Therefore, you can overcome. Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, for your word. And your word teaches us that we can overcome if we follow after our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, that you might minister to us that we might have the confidence, because we've heard from you, that we might be confident that we can be kept by you and that we can have your peace no matter what the storm might look like, no matter what I'm going through, that I can do the right thing. I can do the right thing even in a terrible situation. I can do the right thing. I can do the right thing even though it causes me to personally suffer. I can do the right thing and still have peace. Lord, may you minister to us. May you help us throughout this week to live as Christ would have us to live. Because he's already foretold us we're going to have trouble in this world. We're going to have opposition in this world. And sometimes we're going to have to fight, but we just don't fight like the world fights. We fight on our knees, and we fight by doing what is right. Minister to us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.